Hello and welcome to the podcast Where Did the Rabbit Go? In this weekly podcast we celebrate curiosity, critical thinking and evidence-based skepticism. I'm your host Marco and this is show 54 for Thursday, February 4th, 2021. Oh, it's another beautiful morning here in Monterey and it really looks like my weather forecast from last week is coming true. The spring birds keep singing. On Saturday we were already over 30 degrees and most days are bringing us nice t-shirt weather. And now that we are in February, really anything can happen as they call it febrero loco here. Crazy February. Usually heat waves and cold fronts are alternating every two or three days. But it really looks like we're not going to be cold anymore. What a short winter. Hang on, uh, where's my coffee? For today's show, I'm bringing you something that you shall find very interesting. But it was something that I have been overthinking for quite a while now. Should I really talk about something that is personal on the show? But then, overthinking is really one of the issues here, precisely. So I have decided to do it. Because it might be actually very useful to some of you, dear rabbits. Or to some new listeners who I, of course, am welcoming here to the show. Maybe you found me because I'm promoting this episode a little more. Well, to stop rambling about it, today I'm going to talk about my own mental health journey. What is it like to find out that you are not what we like to call neurotypical? After that, let us play another edition of Find the Fake, our game where I give you several news headlines or facts but one of them is fake, and you get the challenge to find out which one is the fake. On TikTok they call this game Two Truths and One Lie, and on the very amazing podcast, The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, they call it science or fiction. So it's not really my idea, but I love to play this game. And to close the show, I will also give you a little update on my TikTok growth challenge. Around Christmas, I set myself the goal to go from just 70 followers back then to at least 1,000 by the end of January. So how did that go? Stay tuned and you will find out. But first, let us dive into this very personal mental health rabbit hole that I prepared for you this week. Okay, I am pretty nervous about this, because I'm going to share something quite personal today, as I said. But this is me, and I guess those people who already know me, for them it's not a secret at all. And I want to give my contribution to the challenge of normalizing neurodiversity in society. So here we go. I want to share my journey of how I discovered that I have ADHD, up to the point where today I feel confident enough to openly talk about it. First, if you do not know what ADHD means, let me give you a brief explanation. ADHD stands for Attention Deficit and Hyperactivity Disorder, and it is classified as a disability. This is a neurological condition, which means it has to do with the brain. 
Being neurodiverse or neurodivergent means that something about your brain is away from the quote-unquote norm. But then we could get into the discussion that everyone's brain is different. And why should there even be a norm? To everyone, their individual experience is normal to them, right? Anyway, today we know that there are three types of ADHD. The first type is the inattentive type. This refers to people whose minds easily wander around, who struggle to keep their attention focused on one thing. You can think of those like people who easily fall into daydreaming, especially when something is not engaging to them. The second type is the hyperactive type, and that's where the H in ADHD comes from. Those are usually people who cannot sit still, who are always moving around and fidgeting and often talk a lot and fast. Sounds familiar? Those are also typically those students in the classroom who are giving the teachers a really hard time. And then there is the third type, which is by far the most common one, which is the combined type, people who are both inattentive and hyperactive. And this is the type, as I have come to learn, that also describes yours truly. Now, I have a little bit of a problem with the naming of the condition ADHD. I don't like the term attention deficit, because it implies that we do not pay attention, which is wrong. For me, it's not really a deficit of attention, but it's more a deficit of focusing that attention. Also, there are people online who are selling ADHD as a superpower, because their ADHD brain gives them the ability to work differently than neurotypicals. And then on the other side, there are people who almost see ADHD as a death sentence. Well, for me, it's neither a superpower nor is it a death sentence. It has its advantages and disadvantages. But since we live in a world which is kind of more optimized for non-ADHD brains, there are many obstacles. So it's really about learning to live with your ADHD in a non-ADHD world, to develop coping mechanisms and strategies. Another thing that I don't like is to simply use one's ADHD as an excuse. So I repeat, it's a condition that many people are born with. It has a genetic component, which means that if you have it, it is very likely that you got this from one of your parents. And it is quite common. In the US, it's estimated that between 4 and 6% of the population have ADHD. So let's just guesstimate this to 5%. That means 1 in every 20 people. Which means in a school with a classroom size of 30 kids, which is a lot by the way, you should expect there to be 1 or 2 kids on average with ADHD in every single classroom. But the same goes for every other group of people, like sports teams or the staff in your workplace, and of course the teaching staff itself. This all means that just in the US, we're talking about more than 10 million people with ADHD. And here in Mexico, at the same rate, it should be about 6 million people. The fact is, you all know people who have ADHD. And often those people do not even know it themselves, because they are undiagnosed. And just now we are learning that ADHD is probably overdiagnosed in teenage boys, but underdiagnosed in teenage girls. Chances are, because you are listening to this, that you 
know for a fact that you have ADHD or you are wondering about it. Anyway, enough of the theoretical jibber-jabber. Let's now get into my own journey and its different stages. The first stage, of course, was learning about it. So, flashback to the year 2018. I was taking a class for my master's degree in education, and the class was called Special Education in the Regular Classroom. We had already discussed how to deal with students who have visual or hearing impairments, we had discussed obsessive-compulsive disorder, OCD, and we had discussed oppositional defined disorder, ODD. And for the next day that I'm talking about now, we were going to take on first ADHD and then autism spectrum disorder, ASD. The teacher showed us a video from the fantastic YouTube channel How to ADHD by Jessica McCabe. I've never heard about it before. Well, she talked in that video about what it was like to live with ADHD. And I noticed that I could relate to her stories. But nothing weird so far. The teacher then showed us a second of Jessica's videos. She was talking about time management and procrastination issues there. And it caught my attention that I could also relate to all of this. We then went on to some reading. And in the article, there was a checklist with very common traits of ADHD in both teenagers and adults. And when I was reading through that list, I was like, holy guacamole. I was checking off all the boxes in the adult list. I was absolutely shocked in that moment. Could this really just be a coincidence? And I was thinking back at the time when I was at school and I was looking at the teenager list. And I immediately could remember several anecdotes, one or two of which I will share later on. So there I was, sitting in that class, and I was noticing, oh my god, this is all describing me. I was sitting there, my leg quickly bouncing up and down, fidgeting with my pen, and I could just not get these thoughts out of my mind. It was so difficult to focus on the class then. And I remember telling the classmate next to me, Hey, this whole thing, it's like, it's talking about me. Could I have this? And I remember her and another classmate, they were dismissing it. They were saying, just because you relate to some symptoms, no, not really. Come on, we all have these symptoms sometimes, right? Don't we? Later on, you'll also think that you are autistic just because you will relate to some of those things. But the key word they mentioned was sometimes. For me, this was not sometimes. What they were describing there happens to me every day. It was like a description of my personality. So after eight hours of classes that day, we went home. And in the car on the long drive, I was still unsettled and super fidgety and I could not focus. So that time I was not listening to any podcasts like I would usually do because I would not have paid attention. Instead, I put some loud, quick music on, something like Scooter, Rammstein, Headhunters, something that I usually listen to, well, get all the energy out. When I got home that day, I had to discover this further. I had to go down this rabbit hole. So I got my laptop and I looked for how to ADHD on YouTube. I think I watched about 10 more videos. 
One by one, Jessica was talking about my life experience. I just thought those things were all normal. The fidgeting, the forgetfulness, the overthinking. The fact that every little stimulus calls your attention. The trouble sleeping. The difficulty of being in crowded places like bars. Going on side quests when you're storytelling. Uh, the struggle of finding your turn in a conversation. The time management and procrastination trouble. Hyperfocusing. Back then, all the comments in the report cards at school saying, he has so much potential, he needs to focus more. And so on. Finally, I got to the point when I saw that she also had a TED talk that she gave a few years ago about her journey and ultimately her success story. Uh, that evening, I watched it twice. In the end of the talk, she was in tears. And I was in tears, too. Both times. And actually, just right now, while I'm writing the script to this episode, the tears are coming again. And now that I'm recording this, the same thing happens. It's still such an emotional journey. Needless to say that I did not sleep very much that night. The next morning before class, I approached the teacher and I asked him if there was a chance that I had ADHD and what I could do about it. He didn't go very deep into this, but he told me about the process of being diagnosed. That I had to go to a psychologist if I were, wanted to explore this further. Also in class, we had discussed possible accommodations for students with ADHD. And I wondered if I could ask for some accommodations in that class. If he'd be okay with me leaving my place during class. And he was okay with it. So that day, I would be sitting on my chair for maybe 10 minutes. But then I'd stand up, lean against the wall, stretch, move up and down the back wall a little bit. And then would I sit on the floor for the next 10 minutes. And then I would go back to my chair and so on. Or walk it off on the way to the restroom. And guys, I cannot tell you the huge difference that made for me. I would focus so much better on the content of the class. And of course I would participate in all the group work. But it was that little freedom, having that choice of where and how to sit or stand, and to change that during the class, on my own decision, this made such a huge difference. So we do have to wonder, why do school kids in so many places not get that option and have to sit in one line staring at the board all the time? The course finished on that Friday. And after that, I went to a local store and bought myself one of those fidget cubes, which you can see on my Instagram page. Actually, ah, here it is. I have it somewhere here. So you can hear. So, um, yeah, and it would I would use it quietly during many meetings. And again, huge difference. Just engaging my fingers in those constant, meaningless tasks. It helped me get that excess energy out. And meanwhile, I could focus on the meetings. Of course, during those days, I kept going down the ADHD rabbit hole on the internet. And I was becoming more and more certain that I probably had ADHD. I joined the internet forum that Jessica offers on her How to ADHD website and discussed with people who were already diagnosed. And I became more and more certain. 
which brings me to the next stage. Classes of that school year started soon, and I was of course worried about anyone finding this out about me. I think we could say I was experiencing some kind of imposter syndrome. I was wondering if schools would even hire teachers with ADHD. I was thinking probably there are no other teachers with ADHD, so I needed to hide this. Or as the term that I found out goes, masking. I needed to mask my behaviors, which means put on a mask, act like a neurotypical person would act. In spite of my 15 years of teaching experience, I was thinking that, quote, my kind of people maybe should not be teachers. Which, of course, does not make any sense, but back then I went through that phase. Luckily, I remembered also that I have strengths in the classroom and what I am good at. And I pushed through this. So I got caught up in my routine, the classes at school, my afternoon German classes, and because there was not much time or money to worry about a diagnosis, I let it go for almost two more years. I was certain that I had ADHD, but I was thinking, well, it would have been nice knowing that when I was at school as a kid, but by now I have coped with this unknowingly for so many years, so I can just keep doing that. Flash forward to 2020. The COVID pandemic. Teaching from home. Luckily, I could save up some gas money, which suddenly I did not have to spend. Summer vacations were just about to start, and a former student of mine from German classes 10 years back is now a psychologist, and she and her team had started, as an adaptation to the home office situation, uh, to offer affordable sessions via Zoom. And uh, there I was. I had the time, because summer break was starting, I could afford it, no more excuses about the long trajectories to get there. So I scheduled the first meeting, and first we discussed other things, because I wanted to find ways of arranging to the fact that both my kids and I were working from home, we're in a small house, and it became pretty much impossible for me to separate work life and private life which is something, of course, that we're all dealing with. But I wanted to talk about these things. Anyway, I think it was the fourth session where I asked for a test to diagnose adult ADHD. So what you get is a survey uh, for the British, a questionnaire, which contains many true-false statements, boxes for you to tick off. Many of them about the current reality, and also many of them about your childhood, looking back. In order to answer those, I called my mother in Germany. Hello, insect. All these questions were put into categories. There were nine categories of being inattentive, and nine categories for being hyperactive, each category responding to one symptom. And in order to account for a diagnosis, those symptoms must have an impact on your life and must occur with high frequency. And I think it have to be five symptoms at least. So if you identify five symptoms, five categories which have a constant impact in your life, then it qualifies for an ADHD diagnosis. Just to give you an idea, the first symptom describes like this. Quote, 
Do you often not pay enough attention to details or commit mistakes because of being sloppy in schoolwork, your job, or in other activities? End quote. And then there were like seven different examples for the adult life and another seven for the childhood time. In a similar fashion, the first categories of hyperactivity reads, do you often excessively move your hands, your feet, or move around in your place? End quote. And then there were nine groups like this for each, so 18 in total. Of course, I'm not going to give you all the details now about my own diagnosis. That would take another hour. But to cut it short, I clearly present six of the nine symptoms for the inattentive type and six of the nine for the hyperactive type. And I also learned that back in school, I was more inclined to the inattentive type. But in my adult years, the hyperactivity kicked in. And I definitely qualify for the combined type now. Also in diagnosing it, she agreed with me about the point that I had already made about having many coping strategies in place. And she thought that it was amazing that I was able to stick to the same job and the same relationship for many years, because that's not usually the case. Well, yeah, I have been doing that, but I've been working really hard to achieve these things. Well, finally, we also agreed that I would not need medication at this stage of my life, because I had managed to be quote, high-functioning, which is also a very loaded term of its own. Many people with ADHD or ASD don't like it, but I won't get further into this now. So in summer of 2020, at the age of 40 years, almost 41, I finally had my official confirmation of what I had been strongly suspecting for the past years, that I had previously undiagnosed adult ADHD. And still, I did not want to share this with other people, because the imposter syndrome came back. Also, I really thought that my kids and my students should not really see those imperfections about me. I know, silly, but I kept it for myself. Fast forward to December 2020, when I finally decided to produce content on TikTok. So, originally also to help me grow this podcast. And I wanted to publish... Uh, little educational clips about learning German, some tricks for math and physics classes. And I started following hashtags and accounts which brought me into places on TikTok well. The first one was, of course, Teacher TikTok. And the second big one was Neurodivergent TikTok. Several content creators who were very open about their ADHD and also some about their autism. Yeah, those two are different, of course, but there is some overlap between ADHD and autism. But what I also noticed was the overlap between neurodivergent TikTok and teacher TikTok. There are several teachers who are very open about their own ADHD. So I had to reevaluate that whole imposter syndrome. I am definitely not the only teacher with adult ADHD. There are, in fact, many of us. So on TikTok, uh, people use that term type B teacher, which refers to teachers who have organized class content, but very messy workspaces like their desks, their drawers, shelves, or the classroom closet. Just like yours truly over here. And I bet that many of those type B teachers qualify for ADHD. 
still being nervous about people from work maybe finding my TikTok page, which of course is just a matter of time. I decided to publish a few videos that I called things I had no idea were ADHD related. Of course, among other things like math tips, German compound nouns, and um, hopping on a few trends. But after a few days, I was noticing something in my analytics. It were the ADHD videos that had more views, more view time, and more engagement. And especially on video number 6 of the series, I received a lot of reactions. And it became my first video going over 10k views and over 2k likes. I know, not that much, but still, much bigger than all the other ones. In that video, I was talking about the emotional roller coaster that our ADHD brains pretty much just know two motivational settings, completely indifferent and entirely obsessed about something, with pretty much no in-between. And um, that the thing you become obsessed about usually does not stay in that stage of obsession for more than two weeks. And there were many more people writing to me that they were identifying with this so much. And I answered back, I engaged, and I gave them advice. So there I was. These little video clips were, for those people, the same as Jessica's YouTube channel was for me. The entrance into the ADHD rabbit hole. And here I am, finally ready to share this. Open and public. And I know there is no way back, which still makes me nervous, and it still makes me overthink this. Fighting the impulse not to erase this episode again. So if you're listening to this, you know I have not erased it. Let me just share one anecdote from my school time, which I remember vividly. So we're going back into second grade, 1987. Elementary school, religious education, which is a mandatory class in German schools, by the way. Until you are 14, then you have a right to decide. So the class was boring. It was short after my birthday. And I had received my first digital watch, a Casio watch, which in the late 1980s was was awesome. So instead of listening to the class with a teacher in her last year before retirement, talking about something I was absolutely not interested in, I was instead daydreaming and playing around with the amazing features of that digital watch, the alarm, the second time zone, the countdown, and the stopwatch in that order. The teacher noticed, and she pulled me up from my ear. Yes. She took the watch, and she had me stand in the corner for the rest of the class. Now, of course, in the year 2020, she would never get away with that. But I don't even blame her. Back then, teachers probably knew very little about ADHD. Today, things are looking differently. Let me close this with a little discussion of whether teachers with ADHD are a good thing or not. And of course, I will tell you that yes, we are. Duh. There is neurodiversity among students, so why wouldn't there be any among teachers? And of course, I'm not saying that every teacher should have ADHD. But what about one teacher in the staff of each grade level? What about the teacher of one of the subjects? There's absolutely no harm in this. Last Friday, I made this the topic of my live session on TikTok. And there were a few teachers who were sticking around, engaging with me, 
and pushing me to turn this, what I originally planned to be a 30-minute session, into 80 minutes. I just want to summarize the arguments for teachers with ADHD as quickly as possible. First of all, the ADHD brain gets bored easily. We are always seeking novelty. And the beauty of teaching is that no two classes are the same. You can prepare the same class for five groups on the same day and each class will go completely different because you deal with human beings and they will react and act in different ways. This is one of the beauties of being a teacher. Secondly, our ADHD makes us be very enthusiastic about things and students want their teacher to be enthusiastic. I remember one generation years ago, they told me, Mr. Marco, thank you for the classes this year. We never would have thought that somebody could be so excited about quadratic equations. Yep, that's what it is. Next argument. We tend to be very empathetic. And this is important. A teacher needs to connect with all the students. As mentioned before, we react to new stimuli all the time. When there's an insect in the room, we are the people that follow the insect. It catches our attention. So when something is going on somewhere, under the desks, for example, we will most likely notice because our eyes are scanning the room all the time. Remember, I don't think of it as a deficit of attention, but of the focus of said attention, which during class can actually be an advantage. Another thing, again, we get bored easily. So we look to create playful situations, which right now is a huge thing in education. The word here is gamification. And finally, if you're the hyperactive or combined type, the restlessness will make you move around a lot. Do you know those teachers who will just sit behind their desks for the entire class? Well, we could never ever do that. We will walk around the classroom all the time, whether it's in a class or during a test. Sure, I will eventually sit down on my chair, but probably no longer than two minutes, and I will get up again and walk around. And this has shown to be a positive feature of teachers. And yes, of course, there are disadvantages. We do struggle with neatness and cleanliness. We do struggle with paperwork, but remember, we can gamify it. And we do struggle sticking to a repetitive routine. But come on, every teacher has their own struggles. So it's not that we can't do it. I will always get the paperwork done. It just requires more energy from me to do it. Long story short, nobody is perfect, and we don't have to pretend to be perfect. Students appreciate it when their teachers are honest and authentic. And we have to admit when we made a mistake. And let's be honest, those imperfections make life more interesting. So when sharing a video on TikTok about embarrassing stories that happen in the classroom, I got this comment from a person who was a student in my classroom a decade ago when that particular story happened. Look it up, it's titled The Chicken on TikTok. So she wrote this comment, quote, Even imperfect, you were and always will be one of my favorite teachers. Quote end. Uh, which is where my competitiveness kicks in and goes, What? Only one of them? No, just kidding, just kidding. Uh, I'm very thankful for this comment. I really appreciate these things. So I will keep going. 
I will keep posting clips on TikTok and Instagram about ADHD. And I will keep engaging about it because it looks like it's hitting a nerve with many more people. And honestly, if what I do just can make one person feel a little bit about the way I felt when I was watching How to ADHD on YouTube, I will be more than happy. So if you have your own ADHD-related anecdotes and you'd like for me to talk about them on the show, please share them. Just hit me with a DM or leave a comment on any of those TikToks. Really, I want to engage with that content. So like mentioned in the beginning of the show, how is TikTok going right now? Have I gone viral already? Am I TikTok famous now? Nope. So far, a few clips made it over 10k views. That's about it. Have I met my goal of reaching 1,000 followers by the end of January? Yes. On January 31st, the count was at 1,293. And I like this. It's growing slowly, but steadily. And much more important than the numbers, I am enjoying it. And it is engaging for me and for those people who are watching. Which is great. Honestly, a smaller but more engaged community is much better than inflated numbers, if you're really just doing it for the numbers. We have to enjoy the journey. And uh, yeah, I think TikTok is super ADHD friendly because of our short attention span, right? The video clips are short, one minute tops. So to close this segment, I want to give a few shout outs. First of all, to Jessica McCabe whose YouTube channel made a huge difference in my life. And I bet for many more people, just like me. Uh, To Andrea, who guided me in the process of diagnosing. And then to a different Andrea, for that nice comment about one of her favorite teachers. And finally, to Asa, Cynthia, and Mayra, for engaging so much in Friday's TikTok Live, and pushing me to keep going on. All of this has encouraged me to record this long personal episode because it looks like it is relatable for many people, for many more people than I would have thought. Oof, this was quite long. Yeah, also when I was typing that because I want you to know this, all these solo episodes, I am scripting them. I prepare the content before I write what I want to say because otherwise I would just mess up all the time and I would never get it done. Of course, it's different in interview episodes. They all only have a short list of keywords and let the conversation go. But yeah, that's what I do for the solo episodes. I write everything down that I want to say because I noticed that that works for me. That's one of my coping strategies. Yeah, and... um. One last comment, Um, if you hear people saying, aren't we all a bit ADHD all the time, or sometimes, um, because they say, yeah, I forget things too sometimes, or sometimes I cannot pay attention, remember, this has to happen frequently. This happens in our lives all the time. This is not just sometimes. Okay, it's like saying, aren't we all diabetic, just because we are showing one symptoms sometimes did i say one symptoms one symptom yeah this part i'm saying right now is not scripted you notice the difference right i want to leave this in of course anyway 
half an hour of rambling, more than half an hour. This was quite long. Let's close the show with a very quick edition of Find the Fake. The show is already long, so let's keep this short and sweet. It's time to play Find the Fake, and this time it's not news headlines, it's just three facts about animals, and one of them has been changed by me into fake. Can you spot it? Here we go. Item number one, humans are better than any other animals in long distance running. Item number two, cuttlefish can see ultraviolet light, which is invisible to the human eye. And item number three, koala fingerprints are almost indistinguishable from human fingerprints. So think about it for a moment, pause if you need, and uh, let's take them in order. Are humans better than any other animals in long distance running? Yes, this one is true. So no real article, but yeah, so there are bigger animals than us. Taller, smaller, they have better reach, some are faster, some are better swimmers. But um, in the long distances, so like running a marathon, something like that, no animal on this planet can reach us there. I mean, us humans, right? I never did anything more than a 3K, I think. But yeah, so on long distances, human can outrun any other animal. Item number two, cuttlefish can see ultraviolet light, which is invisible to the human eye. This one is the fake. Um, Here's the truth. Cuttlefish cannot see color, but they can see polarized light, an adaptation which may aid them uh, in sensing contrasts and determine what colors and patterns to use when blending into their surroundings. Uh, The pupils of cuttlefish are W-shaped and help control the intensity of light entering the eye. To focus on an object, a cuttlefish changes the shape of the eye rather than the shape of its eye's lens, as we do. So they can see polarized light much better than we do, not ultraviolet. Uh, Which of course means that koala fingerprints are almost indistinguishable from human fingerprints. This one is true. So koalas, which are not bears by the way, they are marsupials, um, share this trait with us and other apes, like chimpanzees. So they have these, uh, yeah, these dents in the fingers. And what do they have in common with all of us, with all the primates? We use our hand to grab stuff. That's it. So how did you do? This was the fourth game of the year. Let me know. Dear Rabbits, this is all for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you so much for taking your time and listening. And please write me if you have any ADHD-related anecdotes that you would like to discuss. If you like the show and you want to support me, there are easy and painless ways which are all for free. Rate and review the show on iTunes and Spotify. Subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. Share it with your friends on your social media. Follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. You can find all the links in the show notes. Every little bit helps. Stay safe and stay curious. And until next Thursday, I'm Marco and this has been Where Did the Rabbit Go?
And um, I was short. Yeah, I was short. I was also short. Okay, so we have barking dogs. We have playing kids outside. We have an insect flying through this room. And we have my wife cooking food down there. And because I have a good microphone now, it's picking everything up. So let's see how this goes. <laughs> 